Boraway Army and fellow music fans, I'm Kayla. And I'm Bethany, and we're the hosts of Standing BTS from the Consequence Podcast Network. We're a bi-weekly show that covers the impact and legacy of K-pop group BTS. We mix the perfect blend of research and fangirl as we take a deep dive into lyrics during album reviews, theorize over music videos, and keep up with their current events. No BTS topic is off limits. We welcome everyone into the conversation, whether you're a casual fan, committed ARMY, or someone who's just curious about one of the biggest music groups in the world. Come chat with us every other Thursday with a new episode wherever podcasts are found. Consequence Podcast Network. Welcome to Going There. The crossroads where music and mental health meet. This season of Going There is brought to you by AbV, who is driving the pursuit of better mental health. Over the last 30 years, AbV scientists and clinicians have worked to tackle the complexity of mental illness and today offer a portfolio of medicines and a pipeline of innovation that spans depression, anxiety, bipolar 1 disorder, and schizophrenia. To learn more about AbV's work to support individuals throughout their mental health journey, please visit www.abv.com or follow at AbV on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and LinkedIn. This episode is also brought to you by Alchermes. Alchermes is a global biopharmaceutical company developing innovative medicines in the field of neuroscience with products that treat alcohol dependence, opioid dependence, schizophrenia, and bipolar 1 disorder. To learn more, please visit Alchemy's website at www.alchemies.com or follow at Alchemies on Twitter and LinkedIn. Today, we are talking with producer, musician, DJ, and songwriter Paul Edward Blair, otherwise known as DJ White Shadow. You may know DJ White Shadow from his collaborations with Lady Gaga. He produced and co-wrote songs for her Born This Way album, Art Pop, and the soundtrack for the movie A Star Is Born, for which he won a Grammy Award. DJ White Shadow has also produced music for artists such as Jennifer Lopez, Pitbull, and Black Eyed Peas. You can check out DJ White Shadow's music and news at djwhiteshadow.com. Now, on the Going There podcast, we have the tough conversations to address important issues so we can learn from each other, challenge the stigma of mental illness, and get the care we need. And one issue that often comes up for people who struggle with mental illness is the feeling that we are broken, that we simply no longer function as we hoped we would and may never get back to feeling whole and healthy again. Now, one of the more predictable ways that we find ourselves feeling broken is when our hopes and dreams in some ways don't come true. Maybe a friendship or romantic relationship that we would thought we'd have forever doesn't work out, or perhaps we don't get into a college we want lose a job we had, or for some reason are unable to pursue a career that we wanted. And oftentimes we feel broken when we experience mental illness because we can't connect to or enjoy our lives or we wind up engaging in unhealthy behaviors that limit our ability to function. However we get there, we feel broken when we no longer feel like the person we wanted to be or thought we were. But one of the things that can happen that we often don't anticipate 
is that we feel broken not when things aren't going well, but when things are actually going really well, when we achieve all of our dreams and perhaps are feeling at our best. Now, why would we feel broken when we are having so much success? Well, unfortunately, what it takes to be successful professionally is often not optimal for our physical or mental well-being. That singular focus on success, such as making a wonderful album, can cause us to lose track of our health behaviors. Maybe we're up all night working and we lose track of our sleep, or we don't have as much time to prepare healthy food or exercise, or maybe we lose track of our family, friends, and romantic relationships as we pursue and achieve our professional success. Sometimes we just feel depleted and more fragile physical emotionally because we're working so hard. And DJ White Shadow talks about his experience with anxiety and depression, which he describes as actually being particularly intense at the height of his professional success after Art Pop was released in 2013. He describes accomplishing this major goal and yet feeling the worst that he had ever felt in his life. He talks about how as he was achieving his professional goals, he was losing connections with many of his relationships. He explains how he didn't really take the time to understand the anxiety and depression he was experiencing or how to get help. He just put his head down and kept going, kept working, even as his well-being was compromised. Now, as we progress through this season of Going There, our goal is to bring you, the audience, further into the conversation. We'd love to hear your feedback, questions that you have that have been sparked by our conversations with these incredible artists, and topics you'd love to see addressed. If you enjoy the show, please leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. These help other folks find their way into the conversation so they can go there with us. So let's go there and listen to what DJ White Shadow has to say. Hey, Paul, welcome to Going There. Hey, thanks for having me. So let's get right into it. You have talked about at different points, particularly after making the album Art Pop, that you felt broken. And I just wanted to get right into that because a lot of people, when they're on their mental health journey, will describe feeling broken. And so yeah. what, what that meant to you and what was going on at that time? Oh, boy. I'm going to try and condense this to the time I, I feel like I could write a book about it. But I grew up wanting to do something since I was in second grade. And I remember very, very clearly in elementary school wanting to make music or be a part of music or do music stuff. And so luckily I've had a pretty... I'm very happy with what I've accomplished. I was able to get to a point where I was doing exactly what it was that I wanted to do, but everything around that particular sunshine of being able to do whatever it was falling completely apart. So, so it was like a, a lot of mixed emotions about who I was as a person, what I was, what actual, you think that it's going to be one thing to make music and create and, and be, at a, a, be able to get to a spot and do stuff. But it's actually like marred with complications that no one could ever describe to you or, or, or explain to you. So like the higher you climb up the ladder, the more things that are getting hurled at you, the more difficult and convoluted your thinking gets. And like it's, it's just like a pure chaos. So it's a very strange feeling to be achieving your goal and also feel the worst you ever have in your whole entire life. And so I think like, you know, now coming out of it or being out of it in some respects, I've found that a lot of musicians share that exact same sentiment. And it's just something that's really hard 
people want to talk about it, but it's very difficult to explain because it's such a personal thing for each individual, depending on everybody's got this giant set of experiences that are applied to whatever they're doing. And so like everybody has different points, but in large, I think after that record was over, I had some sort of success that I could like point to and be like, Hey, look, I did this. But then also like everything that I like my personal life and my friendships and my relationships, it's like we're really scattered and broken and fragile at best, you know? And so it was just like, I didn't have, it was like, I finally got the boat, but it was like parked up on a sand dune somewhere. I didn't know what to do with it. So it was very, very difficult time for me at 2013, 14, 15. And when that happens, it's crazy because you let people into your life that aren't necessarily good for you, it exa that exacerbate that problem. And like people that are bi business people that you're doing business with are able to pull things over on you a little bit. Friendships that you have are able to kind of fall apart that you need because your ego gets in the way of things. And then you start letting people into your life that aren't necessarily good for you at all. So it's it until you can really quiet everything down and kind of take a look for it, an honest like approach and look for it, what's going on. It's really, I was telling myself the whole time, like, this is just what it is. And you got to keep going. You got to do this. And you got to do that. And I don't have time to go see a therapist. or I don't have time to talk about this. Like, I, I just got to keep my head down and keep working. Five years later, six years later, after it's over, you're like, oh my God, like, why didn't I, why didn't I take a second to examine this and be honest with myself and like figure it out? Um, but then after that, it's like, you start to realize that it's all part of the process. I'm very grateful to have gone through it at this point, but man, it was a tough, it was a tough five or six years. And like I was saying before we got a thing, I just didn't really have any context at all about how to deal with it just based on what the tools there were that I had in my box at the time. I just didn't know that going to therapy was an option. I didn't know that actually like anything about like how I was actually approaching it. I couldn't see it and I didn't have anybody to tell me partially because I was blocking it partially because I had no idea that it was available, you know? Yeah. You know, when people, when people talk about that sense of chaos, sometimes they, they try to make a distinction between, well, I'm feeling chaotic because what's in front of me is chaotic and I'm just observing it. Yeah. And then there's another part where they're saying, well, is there something that I'm thinking or doing that is somehow contributing to making it feel more chaotic? Yeah. And in, in your mind, I'm just kind of curious if there was a distinction between those things and, you know, which parts were like, look, I, I'm just doing what's in front of me. And other parts were like, I'm kind of adding to my own pain. Well, it's not, it's, you know, it's the funny thing is, I think as people, we try to narrow everything down to like a moment or like a, 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 a second. And like, there's, there's like, it's, it's poignant. Like, you know, there's parts along the scale that you can say, well, this happened here. That led to this and blah, blah, blah. But we can only see that when it's historic, you can't, you can't really see it when it's happening to you. You can't be like, this is what's happening. I'm going to, until historically you've had something similar happen and found out a way to overcome it. Do you know what I mean? So in, in some regards, and, and now when, when I'm looking at my, my relationships with people or decisions that I'm making or things that I'm about to go do, I look at them in a whole different light because I can understand that, okay, if I start walking down this path, Maybe I'm not completely ready to fire down there again because I don't have what I need to do, but, but I've done this and I can do that. Does that make sense? When you're talking about that chaos, is that, is, when you're saying chaos, is that a, a sense of anxiety? 
I think it's an, I didn't know how to, to label it anxiety at that point Did, because I never heard it. Anytime somebody said, hey man, you should go, you should meet my therapist. I'm like, I'm not going to a therapist. You know what I mean? Like in my mind, partially probably because my dad grew up on a farm and his dad grew up on a farm and they were both World War II and Vietnam. And it's just like that, that was their mentality. So like, I thought that you had to be a crazy person to go to a therapist. So like when anybody told me like, you should talk to my guy, I'm like, I'm not doing that. So, and when I finally did, when I finally got like the nerve to go and like accept that it was a, 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 a something that was possible and it was okay, I, I fought every single one of these therapists. I must've seen five therapists before. I was like, okay, they're all telling me the same thing that I have to start listening to something because I'm not the smartest guy in the room. So I guess the anxiety was there, but I didn't know how to label it anxiety. I didn't know how to label it depression. I didn't know how to, and I didn't understand what the triggers of it were. I'm like how it was working. But yes, I was like, man, I'm still anxious, still socially anxious, and still I get depressed, but I'm not. During that time, which also exacerbated the whole situation, was if I wanted a Snickers bar at three o'clock in the morning, I just had to pick up the, my cell phone and text somebody, and then it was uh, there. So I was overusing alcohol to to compensate for all this because everybody drank all the time. You're on a plane, you drink. You're on a, in the studio, you drink. You're at the club, you drink. Like I'm, I'm DJing, I'm producing. It's like commonplace everywhere. So it was one of those things where, you know, before I started getting this ultra high level of pressure and anxiety and, and, and whatever, I was drinking for fun to, you know, I was, I was using it as a treat and not a treatment as they would say. And then generally that comes to replace it as a, as a treatment. And I was just overdoing it crazy. And using it as a tool to deal with all my anxiety and pressure, which then exacerbated the anxiety and depression. And it's just, you know, it starts crashing and burning, I guess you'd say. It's a very difficult choice point. I think what you described is is so common for people because everyone assumes that people get into uh, issues with alcohol or other substances from a bad place. But a lot of times it comes from a good place. You know, things yeah. are going well, you're having fun. And the the substance itself, the the process of addiction and what it does to your body creates the bad place. Yeah. And now all of a sudden you're kind of, you've got this confusing sense because this used to be part of what was great and you, it doesn't stop and say, okay, now it's bad. It kind of starts blending over yeah. time. Yeah. And it's, it's a very, I think people get very confused about that because they think to themselves, it's like, well, wait a minute. I wasn't, I wasn't drinking because I was anxious and depressed. I was having fun. Why am I not having fun anymore? Right. Yeah, totally. And, and listen, what even made it more confusing is I was the most well-known, the most successful. I was making the most money. I could literally like decide in the morning that I wanted to go to Argentina and go if I wanted to, I, I could do anything I wanted. And, but inside I was just, just completely wrecked. So those two things, and it's funny because I didn't, I didn't really know anybody to talk to about it at that time, but now I kind of, I can, I can see it happening in other people. Like, and I'm able to be like, Hey man, I'm, I, I've turned into one of the voices that people were telling me at that point, which is like a whole 360 thing where I, like, I know I'm talking to people like you should check out this guy. And they're like, no, I'm not doing that. And I'm able to explain through my 
experience to somebody else exactly what they're going through, which is a, is a gift. In hindsight, it's a complete gift. Again, not easy to go through. Wasn't super proud of myself. Didn't make the best decisions during that time. But you can't beat yourself up about it and you can't, um, you know, regret the experience because it's turned me into such a more, you know, knowledgeable person about myself and and able and, my, and it's increased my ability to help others, you know, but it, it's it's a good feeling now to have gone through it. Do you feel comfortable giving an example of a point in retrospect where you were like, okay, here was my choice point and I chose A, but now looking back, I, I should have chose B. Oh man, I think I probably have one of those every single day, you know, <laughs> it depends on the magnitude of the decision, but I guess, oh man, I, I don't really think that way. Do you know what I mean? Like, because of whatever that butterfly effect is, like you, I'm trying, I wasn't aware of the concept of living in the moment. Do you know, you know what I mean? And so it's like, I was just trying to get to the next spot, which I guess is why it, it's a skill that you learn with age. So I, I guess it's why you don't see 50 year old, you know, people going into becoming a pop star at the beginning because it's required, it's required of you in some sense to be naive and, and fast paced and, and, and go to bed at two o'clock and wake up at four o'clock in the morning. And like, that's required to complete that job. So it's very much like a, it's very much something, it's a, not a way that I think. I wish I would have done this instead of doing this, just because I've trained myself to realize that in every, in every really great decision, there's a nudge of bad. And in every really bad decision, there's a nudge of good. And it depends on which one you want to pour water on to see, to see it grow. Do you know what I mean? So it's like your choice. It's your choice whether to have a good day or not. You know what I mean? Like a lot, in a lot of ways, it's just like arming yourself and teaching yourself how to understand yourself and understand other people. Yeah. And one of the things that you've talked about when it comes to making art is this idea of not letting impure things get in the way of a pure idea, which you talk about as a complicated thing. Yeah. And I think one of the things that's perhaps most I don't know if the term is impure, but it, it, it sort of gets in the way of someone living their pure experience is this sense of, well, every decision is either good or bad. So in, in some ways, the way I set it up was actually the wrong way to think about it. You know, it's yeah. just that like, you know, and to sort of say like, look, well, I, I, I make the best decision I think I can in that moment. And then I can only really know afterwards. And I try to get the best that I can and learn from whatever did not work. And that's a, that's a very hard thing to do though for people. It's the hardest thing to do. It's literally the hardest thing to do in the whole world because like you're, you're, you're constantly, listen, you're, you're, you're loaded up with all these thoughts that aren't necessarily true, right? So if I say you have to stay, you have to stay married, you have to stay married forever. You marry, you pick somebody and that's like what it is. That's like a, a preloaded conception, like in our society that, that at least for my parents' age. So it was loaded into me. And it's like, that's a popular thing. And it, but it doesn't mean it's true for everybody. You know what I mean? You have to, you have to have a kid. You have to have this car. You have to have this house. You have to have this. And like, that's the definition of what it is to be successful. When I was a kid, my mom and dad were like, you you're either a doctor or a lawyer. And it's like, there's 8 billion other professions between a doctor and a lawyer. 
And so a lot of my struggle was like taking whatever the preloaded information was and trying to overcome it for what's actually best for my mind. Because I can promise you, I know this for absolute fact, my father's mind and my mother's mind is not my mind in any stretch of the imagination. So it's like, I'm trying to deal, I'm playing golf with a set of baseball bats because like that's what my dad needed to play his game was baseball bats and I'm trying to play golf or, or tennis and, and just wasn't preloaded with that racket. So you're teaching yourself all the time what it means to have that sort of tool to play the sport that you want to play. So a lot of it is being self-aware and a lot of it is not beating yourself up. And a, a lot of it is recognizing failures as potential for growth. You know what I mean? So in large, it's it's like, that, that's a lesson I'm still learning. I am absolutely a mistake all day long, all the time. Like I screwed things up all day. I screwed things up yesterday. I'm set to screw things up today. It's, it's about how you are approaching it after you have the experience. Like it doesn't send me into a hole where I got to run out and make up for it in a way that's not constructive. Yeah. And it's interesting as you're talking, because one of the things that I'm thinking about is that if you don't have the expectation ahead of time, especially that kind of linear expectation, like you're supposed to do X, Y, and Z and A, B, and C timeline, it's almost impossible to feel broken because the question is, is like, well, what are you breaking in those situations? Usually you're breaking some kind of preconceived expectation about how you thought you would think, behave, feel, or what would happen. And in the absence of that pre-existing expectation, I think it's harder to feel that sense of brokenness. Then you're just kind of observing the journey as you're going along, even if it's painful, because yeah. you can feel pain without feeling broken because it's the, the sense that, well, I'm not supposed to feel pain. I'm, so I'm, yeah. I'm having success. I'm supposed to feel good right now. Yeah. Well, that, that's absolutely a, a, the, a myth of the highest order. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I think that that's part of like what, what the problem was for me even. It was just like, you, you, and that's part of like what the trigger is to set it off. You've reached this point. You're, this is all you've ever wanted and you still feel like complete pile of dirt. And so then you start trying to fill the holes with other stuff, whether it's alcohol or like I said, poor, poor relationships or like, this is how people end up with yes men around them. And why you see people making really poor decisions that are at the top of their game because they're not fulfilled. You, you, you've set up this thing where, hey, I could just get that poor. And we do this all, I do it all the time still. I saw, you know, gotta get a, a house by a lake or I gotta go to this vacation or I gotta be friends with that person. And then you get there and you're like, oh, well, that didn't, that didn't, that didn't fix it. And, and, the short answer to it is nothing is ever going to fix it. If you're Jeff Bezos and you just bought a $550 million yacht, that does nothing for you. That, that, that would do nothing for me, at least. Like, you know what I mean? It, you know, at this point in my life, it's like this weird arc where back to what I was saying, when you're, when you're younger and you're filled with these ideas and you're going and going and going, it doesn't matter if you're a, a producer or if you're a, you know, you're working in an office somewhere. You want to get higher and higher up the ladder because you want to have the kind of like in the beginning of Fight Club, where he's like, if I got the Ikea dresser and whatever it is, like you want to have these things in your apartment. And then you start to realize once you get over the hump that like, I was actually happier when I had none of this stuff. This is like a big, a big mess for me. Like to, I, I, you got to maintain 
I got to maintain a, a second house. Like I got to have like a, a second lawyer. I got to have a second accountant. It's like, I don't want to deal with the first guy. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't, doesn't make me happy to deal with any of that. So it's like, you know, you start to recontextualize what it is that actually makes people happy. And, and the, the myth is just that it's a, it's a myth. It's like none of the actual physical material, no, uh, no accomplishment is going to serve, serve the whole thing. The happiest I am is when I'm giving back to other people or doing something for other people or creating something that I think is going to change other people. And I did that and it, it should have made me happy if I would have had my context on straight, but I didn't understand what was actually going on. And I think there's a lot of work to, to be, I still have a lot of work in doing it and everybody should do, do the work. But I think the younger, younger people I meet that are artists are preloaded with a lot more tools than I was preloaded with. So it's nice to at least see that as a society collectively, we're taking care of each other a little bit better and taking care of ourselves a little bit better. Well, you know, one of the things that I think is great about talking with musicians and artists about mental health is that in some ways, oftentimes musicians, particularly successful ones, have gone through an almost supercharged version of what a lot of people go through in their lives. Sure. And one of the things that you're talking about is when you just sit down for 10 minutes and think about, well, what is it going to take for someone like yourself to get to that level of success? How on earth does anyone think that they're going to automatically feel mentally, physically, spiritually healthy at the end of that journey? Yeah, it's it, when you just 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 really sitting down thinking about the hours and hours of practice, the travel, the like you said, like the 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 number of no's that you have to feel, you know, that you have to experience. And I think that that is one of the things that at least is coming to light now more is that more people like yourself are talking about, hey, like great that you're having the success, but you're the whatever the myth was that you were expecting you were going to feel that is not happening and at least if you're prepared for it you can kind of think about it along the way for sure for sure but there's no level of conscious thinking that subverts the unconscious programming that you've been placed with the reason the reason why musicians are also a reading ground for this is because most of us are complete nerds like fucking nerds. Like I was a huge nerd. Like this is all I did all the time. I was like goofed out for it. I didn't play football or like, you know what I mean? Like whatever. I wasn't like a buff tan dude that was running down the beach in slow motion or any of that stuff. It was like, you're, I was in my room, like figuring stuff out. I became a DJ because I wanted to go to parties and play music for people. I hated going to parties. Newsflash, I still hate going to parties. I like that. That hasn't changed at all. But like the thing about it is, is that when you get to a point where the tension is turning, like, holy shit, man, you're a great, you're, you're a great, you've written a great song or you've done this thing and you're inside, your programming wants to be like, I told you so. Now watch me go buy a Bentley. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I'm going to pull up on this and show everybody how cool I am. And it's such a stupid thing to do. Even looking at it from 50 feet away, you know, much less five feet or 500 feet. It's like just looking at it, it's a stupid thing to do, but you watch people do it all the time, all the time. So it's like, you know, it's very difficult for me now to like imagine myself going, I would never do that again. Like I would never do any of that again, but, I, but I'm so proud that I did it once and so happy that I did it once. 
I would go through that torture a thousand times to get to where I am today. Like the bad, all the bad parts of it, I would do a thousand times. But if I had to repeat it, you know what I mean? Like I would, I would do it before and, and I'm glad I did it. I would, I'm never going to repeat it. You know what I mean? So a lot of times when people are like, why aren't you doing this? Like, why aren't you out making, talk about like what your new stuff is. And like, it's like, yeah, my new stuff is kind of like hanging out and like walking my dog and like, you know, helping my friends out and going to, I mean, going to a school right after I get off the phone with you, you know what I mean? Like, so it's like, that's what makes me happy now. And it, sitting around grinding an album and standing in front of 50,000 people or whatever. So, you know, speaking of the concept of what makes you happy now, one of the things that we ask people is, you know, you have made and been part of a lot of songs that have provided people with important part of their mental health journey, you know? Mm -hmm. So for example, like for a lot of people born this way for me very personally like applause was just there you know I, and you don't you don't really know why sure you connect to songs you just you just do but when you hear them you're like yeah that that song gets me for some reason you know yeah. are there are there any artists or albums or songs that have been critical on your mental health journey whether it's you kind of discovered something about yourself or it inspired you to do something or it's like, this is where I go to when I'm, I'm in a certain place and I need to you know, feel better. Oh man, it's really, it's funny. I don't think it's songs for me, which is really weird. People like often, I mean, I have a list of like my favorite songs in the whole wide world for, for stuff, but they're categories. So it's like, I guess, like I have like a box here for like if I'm if I'm running, you know, I have a box here if I'm sleeping or, or if I'm waking up or in the middle of the day or if I'm driving a car, if I'm driving a car in the woods, if I'm driving a car in the city, like they're, they're all different places. And I guess I have like my songs, but it's really funny for me that in retrospect, I was, I didn't do anything but listen to and make music for from the time I was 14 or 15 years old till the time I was, you know, almost 40. So there's this giant swath of like, here I am, vocals, blinders on, just doing that. And now that I've kind of come out of it, I suppose it's like if if you worked at, if, if you loved hamburgers so much that you got a job at Burger King and you worked there till retirement and then like afterwards, like, I'm almost like, yeah, I'm good on the hamburgers from here on out. You know what I mean? Like, it's like I, I, I'm trying to find pivot from like, you know, it's like the second quarter or the, of the, you know, second half of the game where it's like, I'm almost, I have a different relationship with music. And I, and to be honest with you, I hope that the first relationship comes back at some point. But like right now, it's kind of like, I don't really listen to stuff that I don't already have like programmed into my, my system. So the short end of that, I mean, it's a longer version, but the short end is that I do love music and I do use it still, but it's a little bit of a blur right now to be able to answer that question. Yeah. What, when you say your relationship with music, what, what does that, what does that mean? Um, I think that in, in questioning your, like you kind of like your relationship with yourself, listen, I'm, I'm still like, knee deep in this journey. It's like it started in 2015 or 2016. And in the grand scope of things, it's like I've made a lot of progress, but I still feel like I have a long way to go and I anticipate having it 
going for a long time. My relationship with music, my relationship with food, my relationship with how much I'm on this computer, like how much I'm in the world and, and all this, all those things I feel like are, I'm in a state of flux. So it's difficult for me to find the same enjoyment that I used to have in creating or listening to music, right? Like it's a different, it's a different, it's just a different paradigm. So like a lot of stuff that I make, I don't ever play for anybody or don't to the infinite chagrin of my publisher, you know, when they call me and they're like, Hey man, can you make us a song for this? And I'm like, yeah, not right now. And, and I'm, and, but that, but that takes a lot of strength to be able to not like you just run right to the well and be like, yeah, I want to, I'm going to do this. Like it's a surefire into the title, like song. And we know that you and this person can do it. And like, you should do it, ask them. And I'm like, nah, I don't really want to do that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you know, my relationship with the music I'm creating and the music that I'm listening to are, are totally different. I listen to classical music more than anything else right now. I don't want to hear anybody's talking about anything, to be honest with you. Well, you know, it's very interesting that you say that because one of the things that seems something of a paradox is that if you look at any study of art and music therapy, it invariably shows that it improves mental and physical well-being. Sure. And yet, so many artists describe how they struggle, you know, and you would think that like, well, if music therapy works, then you should be getting music therapy 24 <laughs> seven. But, but there's, but there's such a difference between someone who is living a quote unquote regular life and steps out of that and explores their creativity versus somebody who is literally overflowing with creativity to the yeah. point where it dominates their mind and they have to do it. I, I have the answer for you hundred percent on that. Music is absolutely magical. Absolutely. Money is the antithesis of magical, right? So inevitably, if you want to measure, we, that's how we measure our success as human beings through these little green backs and the numbers in our computer. That's how we measure our success. How do I, how do I serve my ego to prove that I'm better than you are at this job. I sell more tickets. I, I, I show up on more places. I run myself ragged and I'm the greatest of all time. I'm, you know, whatever. So the money is the way that you show, quantify how great you are at something. So inevitably they start to marry themselves. When you listen to music, I'm just saying you as a person, I don't know about you personally, but I'm saying a, another person. You think of this mystical, magical field going around, able to transport you to another place. When I listen to music now, I'm like, oh, they fucked up the hi-hats on that thing. Or or like, oh, this, I know what this, I know who this person is and he's an asshole. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or, or like, <laughs> I know who the person is that put this out and how it got made. So like, it's like you rip the curtain off of, off of some of the, magic because you understand maybe more in depth of like how it makes money or you have an I have an experience where the money and the music are connected that you might not have. And so for me, that's why I, I guess that's why I just said I listen to classical more than anything else. Because and I'm sure that they were rife with their political turmoil when when Mozart and Chopin were doing their thing. But like for me, there's a disconnect there where I can enjoy the actual sonics and the and the feeling of the music versus the politics that I, I know so much about, unfortunately. Yeah, that is, that's really impressive to me because I think the ability to take a pause and take a moment and really try to examine your relationship with yourself and, and the things, the people around you, and to know when there's something that feels toxic, 
or something that doesn't feel as pure or as genuine. And to be willing, whether it's a relationship or a connection to something like your art, to say, I'm going to pull back in not only because there's a problem now, but I'm also doing it in the hopes that I'm going to regain something like that feeling. Like I know what that good feeling is now yeah. and I know I'm not having it and I'm willing to pull back even if just to wait and to do the work necessary to try to get it back, whether it's, it's that positive feeling like it was before or something different, you know, with a different art form, a different relationship. And that, yeah. that is a powerful thing because there is a lot pulling you in that other direction. Because like you said, I mean, you could, you could do probably anything you want. I, I think it takes a lot of guts to be willing to do that. Yeah. I don't know if it's, it's like guts or like self-awareness or like just a, a practice uh, that I'm not completely a master of by any means of, of whatever, but like just finding an alternate version to the popular version of what success is. Right. So it's like before you're faced with these things and this is what success is and you achieve the popular version of success. And maybe that does something for you. Maybe it doesn't. People say to me all the time, I just was at a dinner, um, last weekend with uh, a, a pretty important person in the music business that I, that I'm friends with. And he had brought it along another friend of him, of his. And he was like, so what are you, what are you doing in now? And I was like, nothing. <laughs> and he was like, what do you mean? And I was like, that, I, that's what I want to do. I don't want to do anything right now. So if it comes back or the, the ring comes back around, like when I'm on this thing, great. If it doesn't, great. I, I'm still, I'm still have this wonderful opportunity. I am a creative. So it's like what I create makes me happy. How I decide to contextualize that, that's, that's a society. That's my problem with society. The, I, the stuff that I make inside of me and the stuff that like comes out, I'm still very proud of. Where, where it goes to and gets judged and how it gets placed and where, where I want to sit. That's a little bit of more of a, of a finesse. And I had to figure out exactly what that is, but like I've done, I have great things that I'm doing right now that I wouldn't have been able to do without doing the great things before. So I'm proud of the great things I'm doing now. Do they measure up to the same standard Are, are 50,000 people hearing it or 5,000 people hearing it or five people hearing it? Is it, is it important to change five people's lives directly versus shoot a thing out that might change five people's lives in 500,000? And like, what are the weights of that? So it's just about being very self-aware, aware of like what your ego is, like aware of what the actual intent and purpose is. Am I doing this to just make a couple bucks and for people to be like, oh man, good job on that. It's like, I, I feel like through self-examination and through a set of experiences, I've become a lot more mindful about like what it is I want to do and how I'm doing it. Well, that is fantastic. And I think a great place to stop. And Paul, thank you so much for coming on the Going There podcast. Very, very powerful stuff you're talking about. And I'm definitely thinking about it a lot. And so very much appreciate you stepping up and uh, taking the time with us. Yeah, no problem. And listen, I, I, I'm happy to, uh, if anybody wants to talk about stuff or has having questions or like whatever, just shoot me a DM. I try and answer them. There's, there's a lot of them that come through, but I'll do my best to answer if you want to shoot me a direct message. Yeah, very appreciated. Thank you so much. All right, brother. I appreciate it too. So there it is. Paul Edward Blair, otherwise known as DJ White Shadow, talking about his struggle with anxiety and depression and how he felt broken. Now, there's so much to take away from the conversation with DJ White Shadow. 
But I wanted to focus on something he and I talked about towards the end of the discussion, which is the use of the term broken when discussing our mental health journey. One of the problems with this term is that it presumes there is a singular and often linear way of proceeding through our lives. There is only one way to feel quote unquote whole and healthy. Many of us have very specific ideas about what we should do by a specific time in our life and how we should feel when we achieve those things. And so if either our life takes a different turn or our emotions don't match how we think we should feel, we label ourselves broken. And we definitely are at risk for labeling ourselves as broken if we struggle with our mental health, even when our struggles may be understandable in the given context of our life. So instead of listening to our bodies and minds and trying to understand what we are feeling and why, we label ourselves broken. This may cause us to not only feel worse about ourselves, but also interfere with our being able to make the connection between things such as losing touch with our friends or drinking more and deteriorating mental health. So we're not in the position to learn from our experience. So one thing we may want to do is replace terms like broken or whole with words like suboptimal or more optimal. Then we can always be looking for the right combination of situations, thoughts, and behaviors to optimize our mental health, rather than judging ourselves as broken when we suffer. It doesn't mean that we don't try to understand our sense of purpose or our goals, formulate them and go for them in some kind of linear way. We can put in the time and effort to achieve those goals. We just need to be open to recognizing that just because our mental health journey may not always be linear, and it's not always in the way that we expect it, it doesn't mean we are broken. I want to thank DJ White Shadow for this wonderful conversation. This season of Going There is brought to you by AbbVie, who is driving the pursuit of better mental health. Over the last 30 years, AbbVie's scientists and clinicians have worked to tackle the complexity of mental illness and today offer a portfolio of medicines and a pipeline of innovation that spans depression, anxiety, bipolar 1 disorder, and schizophrenia. To learn more about AbbVie's work to support individuals throughout their mental health journey, please visit www.abvie.com or visit at AbbVie on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and LinkedIn. This episode is also brought to you by Alchermes. Alchermes is a global biopharmaceutical company developing innovative medicines in the field of neuroscience with products that treat alcohol dependence, opioid dependence, schizophrenia, and bipolar 1 disorder. To learn more, please visit Alchermes' website at www.alchermes.com or follow at Alchermes on Twitter and LinkedIn. And I, of course, want to thank Consequence Podcast Network and Sound Mind Live for including me in this wonderful project. And thanks to Pete Wilson and the Rooks for letting us use their song, I Know. If you are struggling with anxiety, depression, or addiction and are looking for help, please call the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration National Helpline at 1-800-622-4357. If you're thinking about harming yourself and want to seek help, please contact the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline at 988. You may also go to the Sound Mind Live and Consequence websites for more information. So be healthy, be safe, and be kind to yourself and others. See you next time at The Crossroads. Greetings from Longtime No See the Podcast. Every week we'll be inviting two blindfolded comedians to answer a series of questions about their careers, lives, and opinions. Now, let's remove those blindfolds and start the show. Ah! <laughs>
What would your opening line with your celebrity crush be? Loved you in Harry Potter. <laughs> Worst date you've been on? A man bit my neck mole off once. You did what? A man bit my neck mole off. Oh my God, Jack almost fell off his chair. Be sure to follow and subscribe to the podcast.